It's so good to be here this morning, and it's so good to be able to worship in church, <laughs> which we couldn't do for a long time. I've been here since uh, February. Uh, my idea was to go back in April, but that was canceled. My plans were canceled like a lot of other plans uh, have been canceled. And, and uh, But I just wanted to let you know because this church has been so generous, and I thank you so much for that. I mean, you've helped us build schools and our finished schools and and just your monthly support keeps the um the ministry going in uganda and we are faring a little bit better than most people in uganda they've closed uh, all the borders down they've had very severe closings and severe consequences uh if you happen to break one of the rules. I mean, there have been people that have been beaten up and shot and murdered and so forth because they either didn't have a mask on or maybe they were driving their car. They wouldn't even let you use your personal vehicles right in the beginning. Now it's gotten a little bit better right now, and uh, but it was mandatory. Um, shut down, everybody had to stay stay um, home, and, and of course, just like here, uh, churches were closed. In fact, it was only last Sunday was the first time we were able to have church in the churches. We couldn't even have outdoor churches like they did here. Of course, our churches are kind of outdoors anyway, but... Uh, I just wanted to give you a couple of testimonies. You know, God, he gets the job done even during times like this. And um, last November when I was in Uganda, the Lord had laid it on my heart to really speak to the people and to the uh, people in the church about sustainability. Says my husband had passed away, you just... You just never, you're not promised tomorrow, and it was so sudden, and I thought, well, you know, if anything happens to me, what's going to happen to them? And so uh, I started really speaking about it last November. Well, I, uh, I brought in a, uh, a group to give a seminar. It was called Farming God's Way. Basically, it's sustainable farming, organic farming, where you use mulch to keep your the weeds down and the crops down and so forth. And, and you get maybe four times, four or five times the yield that uh, you would normally get, the way they would normally farm our garden. And so I opened it up to the whole community and, of course, our the ATK staff was required to go um, because I told them they had to. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> so we did that. And then the very last day I was there, a plot of land that we had wanted like for 10 years, small plot, not very big, but it was right behind our church, happened to go up for sale 
because the five sisters that owned it just happened to be in the village for a funeral on that day in November, my last day there. And so uh, we made arrangements to immediately purchase that little plot of land. Well, okay, so we had a seminar on gardening, and now we have a plot of land. Little did we know that in just a couple of months, how much that would actually mean. Um, Uganda closed down the 18th of March, so that was only about four months, five months later. And uh, I told them, I had a conference call with them, and I said, you need to enlarge the gardens as large as you can get it. You can't have church anymore, so everybody might as well become gardeners. Well, they did exactly what I told them, and they got such huge harvests. They, they were trained in organic gardening that same time, and their harvests were so big that we were able to give food away. Now, there were food shortages other places, but we did not suffer that at all. We had lots of fresh vegetables and, and uh, maize, which is a food staple, and beans, of course, which is a food staple. And so God was so glorified throughout our area that, what are these Christians doing? They call us Balocalese, though. What are these Balocalese doing that their gardens are so... Uh, uh, big and, and, and the crops are so good. Well, it gave us a real, a real opportunity to, to uh, speak about, well, we serve a big God, so he gives us big gardens and we, uh, <laughs> and we pray over them every single day and this is what the Most High God does. And uh, so anyway, I just thank God for that, and uh, the people in the cities did not fare as well because as the everything shut down, um, of course, they didn't have the gardens in the city, and a lot of people did starve, and because they couldn't, uh, they, the, the little shops where they bought food all closed up. Everything had to, Everything was closed up. Uh, and a lot of people died because they couldn't get to the doctor um, because they shut down travel. But uh, the people in the village, remote, rural areas, did pretty good. They did pretty good. So another, another testimony I, I wanted to tell you was that um, on Easter... Uh, one of our pastors was invited to speak on the town intercom system or the PA system. Uh, since we don't, uh, since people don't have electricity in their homes, they put up uh, these speakers in the town center, these big bell <laughs> speakers that um, send out messages oh, up to a mile in all directions. So he got invited to speak uh, Easter Sunday service in the town center. Now, we work in a primarily Muslim area, and uh, so 
that's that's pretty big to be able to have that opportunity to do that. So, so anyway, uh, our lead pastor from our main church said, I'm going to ask our village chief if, uh, if we can put speakers up in our town center. Uh, we didn't have them in the main, where our main church was. And uh, so he called me up and uh, said, do you think we can do that? And first the thought went through my mind. I mean, I didn't speak it out. Okay, I'll let you know next week, and I'll see if I can raise some money for it. But I didn't speak it out. I just said, because God just stopped me, just like that. And uh, I said, of course you can. Of course. Get it going right away. And I thought, well, how silly of me that I can't even step out on, I almost didn't step out on faith that, that he would take care of that. Well... The very next morning, when I went to uh, pick up my mail, I have a mailbox in Lawrence, um, or a post office box, there was this unexpected check, uh, just an unexpected gift to the ministry, and it covered the whole amount. And I just about delayed it a week. So they had already started, so yay God on that. I mean, you just, you know, if you, if you look around, I mean, God just keeps moving. He just keeps moving. So now we're, the churches are closed down until last week. So we were able to uh, put those speakers up, and there were some Muslims that weren't very happy about it, but so they all got together and had a meeting about it, and they said, well, look, uh, ATK has been, um, they've, they've put in schools, and they've put in water wells, and they've blessed us, and, and so why would we deny them to use the speakers that they paid for, okay? So now we get to speak uh, the gospel four times a week, and instead of uh, reaching hundreds, now we're reaching thousands because they go a mile in every direction and we put up four powerful speakers and so uh, um, so now even the people that really don't want to hear the gospel well they hear it anyway and uh, and they're happy to have us do that we also pray for people when they're sick and of course we uh, uh, we let the leaders announce news, that, like from the government and so forth, uh, over those. And so everybody is being informed of things. So I'm just so happy to share those things with you. I don't know when I'm going to go back. I, maybe uh, first, week, first part of December, maybe first part of January at the latest, I hope. And, uh, but I'm just kind of watching uh, how the borders, once you get to Uganda, what they're requiring. And I have a friend that's, or an acquaintance that's leaving on Tuesday, so I'm going to be in contact with her, so I'll just, I'll just see. But, uh, again, thank you, and thank you, Pastor Don, for letting me sh update everyone. I 
just wanted to let you, I didn't say nothing about Project Lydia. Sorry about that. We've had to completely, um, during, during the um, winter months, we build inventory because we do so many trade shows. Well, all the trade shows have been canceled this year. So we have a lot of inventory, so because of that and because everybody needed to separate in Uganda, the ladies, for the most part, have not been working. I thank God that they've been sustained by their gardens, but they just have not been working. And little by little, they're starting to work again. And uh, so anyway, uh, it won't be long. Christmas will be here, so... Order something from Project Lydia. That'll help us out <laughs> and help the ladies out. Thank you. Thank you. That's the first one. I, I want to buy some. When she comes out, we'll talk to her. Mark, if you would turn to Mark in Chapter 4, we need to move rather quickly. Mark in Chapter 4. Thank you, Julie. Wonderful update. No? But I'm going to. Mark in chapter 4. have a lot to say, and this is uh, the place in Scripture I wanted us to get to in particular. Okay? Because this is the passage, the parable of the sower. This is the passage that will make or break a lot of things in your Christian life. From this passage, you will either, either be thrilled with the information the Lord gives or you're going to start giving excuses as to why you are not going to do these things. And you fall on one side of the fence or the other. Uh, the Lord gives two reasons in the parable of the sower. Two reasons for unfruitful Christian lives. And he nails it. And he wouldn't be popular today any more than he was then. Because the world wants excuses. They want to give reasons for why they don't do what the Lord calls us to do. It's, it's uh, in the ministry, it's in the, it's in the laity, it's in, it's in the churches, everywhere. People are really willing and immediately uh, wanting to give excuse for why they don't do what the Lord calls us to do. And I'm going to ask you to put yourself in uh, that place today. Figure out who you are in this passage. Now, a quick update for newcomers here into this passage. I've been preaching through Mark and uh, taking our time. We've been in it for several weeks. We're now at the beginning of chapter 4. But the whole Bible ties together. It's one word. It says one thing. It talks about Jesus Christ. And so we have this message. And so in Mark, I chose Mark to preach through this gospel because it moves rather quickly. The word immediately is the word that Mark uses more than any. Most likely, most commentaries will tell you, most likely the Gospel of Mark is the Gospel of Peter. And Mark was the secretary. Mark wrote it down. He was Peter's, Peter was his protege. He followed Peter around. He heard Peter's sermons. And Mark was the first Gospel written. And so it's an interesting uh, culmination of things that bring this Gospel out. Written by Mark. But we find in the first chapter, very quickly, find in the first chapter that he was introduced by John the Baptist. He was prophesied. He was identified by God who, when he was baptized by John, he said, this is my son. And the angel, 
Spirit of God in the form of a dove descended upon him. He was illuminated then in his ministry years, and he moves right into that shortly after the third thing that happened, and he was initiated by the Holy Spirit in the, in the wilderness. Forty days tempted in the wilderness. And then he moves into his illumination. The light comes on, spotlight on this Christ. And he begins to preach. And his message is the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of God is at hand. That's the background. That's the background. The thing that I am teaching through the book of Mark is singular. It is this idea, as we look at all the passages together, it is this idea how to handle distractions in our Christian life how to handle distractions. Some of them are huge. Some are small. Some seem very significant. Some are fairly insignificant. But how do we handle distractions in this life? And I'm telling you this, I've made no friends in this preaching. I tell you this, you're going to stand before Jesus Christ one day if you're a Christian. You're going to stand before me if you're not as well, but you're going to stand before the Lord one day if you're a Christian to give an account for this life and what you did with your time given by God. Did you invest it? Or did you simply spend it? Did you do things for the kingdom's sake? Or were you all about yourself and what you can get and more and more and more? And so it's about distractions. We see the first distraction in the Garden of Eden back in uh, the first of Genesis. Third chapter of Genesis. Eve is distracted by Satan. And look what she lost. All of mankind lost. She gambled on a lie to gain what she already had in, in God and lost it all. Already had it. That's the deception, folks. That is the deception of Satan. He tells us, if we do these things, we can have these and we already have those in Christ. But we gamble that gamble and lose it all. It's interesting. But it is the deceived heart that does it. It is the deception of heart. We move into the fourth chapter. We just came out of the third, obviously, which is this. Jesus going through the distractions. One by one, the distractions. We looked last week, chapter 3 of Mark. We have him preaching and teaching on the Sabbath day and healing a withered hand in the first six verses. And you find there that in those verses that uh, the outcome of that was a group got together who were strange bedfellows, but they'll do it for, for a common cause, and that was the Pharisees and the Herodians got together that they might destroy him. It was the first time we see politics and religion coming together in a united cause. Folks, pay attention. We're living in the world today of the same thing. Politics and religion comes together for, for a common purpose. We had a president say some years ago, not too long ago, that Christians are the most dangerous people in the United States. You know what the problem with that statement was? It wasn't finished. Christians are the most dangerous people in the United States to those with the purpose of one world government, to a one world system. Finish, finish. When Jen and I do counseling, we talk to people and they'll plead their case, why their troubles are upon them. And I'll tell you what, most people won't finish the sentence. Most people will not finish the sentence. 
So the Herodians came and they met with the Pharisees. And so the first thing that Jesus had in his was a distraction of enemies. The next thing was his friends came together and said, we're going to take him home. I think he's lost his mind. He's out here healing people. Why, who would do that? And so there's a distraction of, in, of family. And then it says the scribes came together. The scribes came together. And they said he's operating in the power of Beelzebub. And Jesus said, you're ridiculous. I want to tell you something about this world. I use that word a lot. I don't gain a lot of friends with it. I'm not asking you to use it. But when someone comes up with a ridiculous statement, uh, I really enjoy saying you're ridiculous. You're being ridiculous. And he told the scribes there, That's uh, why would Satan attack himself? No kingdom or no house divided against itself can possibly stand. You are being ridiculous. Now, if you, I live in Lawrence, and I want to tell you this. When you say that to what this distraction was, which is arrogant scholarship, they don't like it. If you tell a, a person who claims to be a scholar they're being ridiculous, you're not going to make a friend that day. Guaranteed. I, I can attest to that for 45 years of, of the problem. And so his, his, uh, the enemies came against him to put him to death. It says in verse 19 of chapter 3, uh, his friends, or verse uh, 21, his friends came to lay hold and said he's out of his mind, he's beside himself. Arrogant scholarship came and, put, and posed a ridiculous uh, reason. And then in the last part of the chapter, it says his brothers and mother came outside and said we would see our, our son and brother Jesus. And he said, who are my family but those who do the will of God? All right, we're up to speed. We're at chapter 4. That's what I'm pointing out. We're talking about distractions and how to handle them. The third chapter is Jesus being distracted from every angle. Now, how did he handle that? He called it what it was and kept moving. But we look at chapter 4 and verse 1 and look what it says. And he began again to teach. That's what he did. This is how Jesus handled distractions. He went to another place and he began to teach. He went to another place and called him into the house and taught them. The Bible says in his doctrine, he taught them. That's what he did with distractions. What do you do? What do I do with distractions? This COVID thing is a distraction, I'm telling you. It is a distraction and people are using it to distract. Again, I say this, I have friends in Lawrence who have churches who, they're not even meeting, let alone, they're not even talking, they said Sunday school is off the table for the next six months or to a year. They're not even going to meet anymore. One of my friends didn't even communicate with his church family during the, the crisis, and he told me two weeks ago they decided to meet again in the sanctuary, you know, spaced out as we do, and he said we met, and you know who came back? Five people. He lost his church. This is a distraction, and Satan is using it. If you, want to, if you want to divide out right now, this is your chance. This is a distraction that can be used greatly by the enemy. But we love each other. We want the best for each other. We want the gospel out. And so what did Jesus do when the distractions came? Well, the distraction was, we're going to kill you. And he said, are you? Not today. We're coming to take you home. He said, I am at home. This is my home teaching my people. We think you are empowered by the devil. He said, you're ridiculous. What else you got? And they don't like that. And I'm telling you what, people still don't like that. 
so, particularly arrogant scholarship. I want to tell you, the word uh, uh, scholar is thrown around in this world way beyond my comprehension of scholar. People call themselves scholars and other people say that's a scholar. I think I may have met a few in my life, but I don't know a hundred of them. And I don't think you do either. But Jesus said, uh, you're ridiculous. And his family, he said, I'm at home right here. My family are these people who do the will of my father. And he went out and began to teach. Chapter 4 and verse 1. And he began to teach by the sea side. And there was gathered unto him a great multitude, so that he entered into a ship and sat in the sea. And the whole multitude was by the sea on the land. And he taught them many things by parables and said unto them in his doctrine, Hearken, listen now, he said, listen, hearken, behold, there went out a sower to sow. And it came to pass as he sowed, some fell by the wayside, and the fowls of the air came and devoured it up. Some fell on stony ground where it had not much earth, and immediately it sprang up because it had no depth of earth. And when the sun was up, it was scorched, and because it had no root, it withered away. And some fell among thorns, and thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no fruit. And other, and other fell on good ground. Other fell on good ground, and did yield fruit that sprang up and increased and brought forth some thirty, some sixty, and some a hundred. And he said to them, He that hath ears to hear, let him hear. He that hath ears to hear, let him hear. He begins the parable with listen carefully, and he ends with this, did you hear me? Could you hear me? Do you have ears tuned to this frequency? Huh? Do you? Do I? And this is an interesting fact in this parable. And when he was alone, <laughs> can't tell you this any more than I tell you. You're not going to grow in this intimate relationship that gives you power and strength and courage in a corporate setting. You grow with Christ the same way you do with anyone else on this planet, with intimacy, intimate fellowship, intimate fellowship. I know of a lot of people. I intimately know a few people. And when someone comes to me and says, you know so-and-so, I say, yes, I do. And they say, you know what he just did? It may seem, I may say, well, that sounds like him. I've seen him do it ten times, hundred times. Or I may say, I've never even seen him act like that. I'm going to have to listen to him. I'm going to go to him and ask him. And so when people tell you what Jesus is doing, how he, how he, you see back in the, how, how he works, you go back to the third and the fourth of Hebrews, and he said, those people fell in the desert because they knew not my ways. They weren't acquainted with me. They weren't acquainted with me. Someone might come and tell me, Zach, right here, Zach said, you know what he said about you the other day? You know what? First of all, it's none of my business. He was talking to you, not me. And second is this. If you're going to tell me, I'll listen, but you know what? That's between, I'll just take that to Zach. How about that? I'll just say, Zach, is that, is that how you feel? Is that what I... Go to the Lord in person. I, I guarantee you, you'll grow in your spirit. You'll grow in your understanding. And so it says, when they were alone. Verse 10, when they were alone, when he was alone, they that were about him, the twelve, asked him the parable. 
And he said unto them, Unto you it is given to know the mystery of the kingdom of God. But unto them that are without, all things are done in parables. That seeing they may see and not perceive, and hearing they may hear and not understand. Lest at any time they should be converted and their sins should be forgiven them. And look at verse 13. Key. Verse 13 is a key. Listen to what it says in verse 13. He said to them, Know ye not this parable? How then will ye know all parables? It says in verse 34, Without a parable he spake not unto them. Jesus began in his doctrine and began to teach all things in parables. Closing out those without ears to hear. Enlightening those with understanding hearts. And he said, if you don't understand this parable, you'll not understand any parable. Does that not make this one a significant parable? Does that not make us, our little ears, perk up and say, hey, I think I better study this parable. I think I better understand what he's talking about. And that's what they said. What are you talking about? Lord, what does that mean? They got him alone and they said, Lord, do you do it? Do you? Do you watch the news and hear the things in the world today and get the Lord alone and ask him what's going on? Do you hear things in the world, see things in the world, wonder, I don't understand that. Do you, do you get the Lord alone and say, Lord, what, what, what's going on? How am I to govern myself? How do I live in this world and what am I to do? And here am I, Lord, send me. Do you get him alone? Do you get alone with the Lord somewhere? I think it's great to listen to sermons. I think on the radio, hear a good sermon. Uh, my, of, of course, Robbie, is just gonna, he's going to teach you so much. There's so much good stuff. There's some bad stuff. There's so much good stuff. But that's not the alone time. That's a, that's a corporate heart saying amen to God. That's what the Word says, and it's wonderful. Amen, that's true. But I'm telling you, to really grow in Christ, you need that quiet time. You need a place, uh, you need a place and a time to get alone with God. Some of you mothers with more than three or four need me. It might be the bathroom. I don't know where it is. Most of us can find a spot. But get alone with God. Get alone and ask God some questions. And say this. My heart's open to the answer. No preconceived notions. No, no ideas. Lord, teach me in your doctrine. And tell me the answer to these things. How, Lord, would you have me to respond to these things? We're in a crazy time, folks. It's as clear the side, the battle lines are drawn. They're as clear as they've ever been. There's nobody, there's nobody this time going to say, oh, I didn't know what I was voting for. I didn't know what they were talking about. It's as clear as in my lifetime it's ever been. The lines are drawn. And uh, I want to say this to you. You vote against Scripture and you'll live that. It'll be counted, uh, uh, it'll be put on your tablet. Well, I have, a lot, uh, I have these other reasons. It's, there's ten things over here for just this one thing. Is that right? Is that, is that right in your heart? It's these ten things I disagree with, and, and, and it's all kinds of... But, you know, it's, it's the only one thing I'm, I, I wouldn't vote for. But, it, but it's in, is that right? Oh, is that what God is saying? Listen, you better be very careful now and vote the Word of God if you're a Christian, or else you'll live out your days... And God's going to say this, I'm going to give you what, you what you wanted. It's such a dangerous place for Christians to be outside the fellowship of God. 
outside the intimate knowledge of Jesus Christ. You want to be seen as a lunatic in this world? Just fall in love with Jesus. I mean, get it a passionate love for Jesus Christ. You'll be a lunatic in most church circles. A lot of people put the word Christian in front of their name, and uh, uh, there's no other evidence. A lot of people say, and I... Uh, I get a call from the mortuary from time to time and say, Don, a member of your church passed and they want you to bury him. I don't even, I've never seen that person before. They said they're a member of your church. I have, I have done more than you know funerals of people. I, I have no idea who they are, but they say they're a member of this church. What is that, folks? What is it? Wouldn't darken the door. But want to be buried in it. I don't get it. I don't get it. How then, the Lord said, if you don't know this parable, how will you know all parables? That's key. Listen now. He begins to explain. They ask him to explain the parable. Verse 10 says, they, when they were alone. So he says to them, the sower soweth the word. One says, another gospel says the word of God. Another one says the word of the kingdom. And it's all the same thing. Jesus came to preach the kingdom. And so he says the sower comes to sow the word. And these are they by the wayside where the word is sown. And when they have heard, Satan cometh immediately and taketh away the word that was sown in their hearts. Satan comes immediately. So there are four kinds of hearts exposed here by the Lord. And the one thing I want you to take away today is this. I'm talking about distractions. The Lord was talking about distractions, talking about deceptive distractions, distractions that come through deception. And he said, I know this as God. God knows the honest truth of the matter. And he said, there are four kinds of hearts to hear the word of God. There are four kinds of hearts one is the first, and he said they, get, they hear the word of God, and immediately Satan comes and takes it away. That's the first heart. Now, these folks we don't know much about because they, they don't join churches and they don't have fellowship, and they hear it, and they're interesting. These are interesting people, by the way, when they die, when they call me to the hospital. These are the interesting people. Oh, yeah, back in 1954, I was in a church one day, and I heard the gospel, and I believe that was true. And I said, amen, the gospel is true. Well, what happened? Oh, I went for a number of times, and then I just fell away. I just fell away. Satan snatches the word from their hearts. The thing that we're talking about is the importance of the word of God. Being, being disciplined to the growth and the understanding of the word of God. Number two. Uh, verse 16, and these are they which likewise which are sown on stony ground, who when they have heard, immediately receive with gladness, oh, and have no root in themselves, and so endure for a short time, and afterward, when affliction or persecution arises, for the word's sake, you believe that? What do you say when someone says, you believe that Bible? You going to believe that Bible, really? <laughs> Does that offend you? 
These are the second group. These are the hearts. The, the heart, the ground is the heart. The seed is the word. They receive the word to their heart. That is, oh, glad to hear the news. But they go to a family meeting. They go to a Sunday dinner. They go somewhere to a social group or back to their job. Someone mocks the Bible and calls them weak and ignorant for not understanding how it really works. You're going to lean on that Bible and use that for a crutch. Folks, it's your wheelchair. It's your dying bed. This is not a crutch to me. This is my whole... I, 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 lean, I lean everything on it. It's all there is. This is the only truth we have. It is the Word of God. And so the second group come, and they are offended. The Bible says that word means to fall away. They just simply stumble, fall down, and fall away. These are people... Who have a superficial belief. They believe when it's going their way, but when the, when persecution arises, they're gone. They're gone. Now I want to say right now, if you believe the Bible and you're willing to say so, you're going to get some opposition. But what do you care? If you really believe the Word of God and believe what it's saying and who is the author and who it's about, what do you care what people think? And that's the heart. Would I rather offend you or God? Would I rather be offended or God offended? This is superficial Christianity. The third and the biggest group by far. I think the third group is the biggest group by far. The Lord said the most about it. He gave three reasons for the problem. And that is this. That is this. And these are they which are sown among thorns. Got a thorny heart? You know, prickly little heart? <laughs> if you do, you've been told that already. You got a thorny heart? If it's not going your way, what do you do? You pout, throw a tantrum, leave the room. And ladies, a silent treatment believe me, is a gift from God to every man who's experiencing it, so don't use that. You're going to do what now? Quit talking for three days? Oh, please don't do that. Bring some more of that as loud as you can right on my nose holes. Get as close as you can and talk that way. That's what I want. No, I'm not talking to you for three days. Please don't. How do you respond when it doesn't go your way? Well, listen to what the Lord says. The thorny heart, verse 19, and the cares of this world, number one, the deceitfulness of riches, number two, and the lust of other things, number three. That's a big group, isn't it? Isn't that a big group? Now listen, these are the first three out of four. Three out of four, the Lord says, and here the word, are unfruitful people. They don't produce fruit for the kingdom. And he gives the reason. One, they're immediately taken away. They just, they're just flashing the pan here and gone. Number two, they're offended. They fall down. And they don't want to say anything that's going to make somebody have a problem. They don't pray for their meals in public. They don't thank God openly. They don't mention his name. They don't give him credit for all that he's given them, which is everything that you have, by the way. Oh, well, I work hard and my hands created this, really. Who gave you breath and hands and a brain? Who gave you time and who gave you understanding? You know what? Superficial, I mean baby Christians. This is where I lose my friends. 
and I realized this, they weren't friends. Because this is a message that's going to make you either exuberantly glad to know who this Christ is and what he knows about you, or it's going to make you offended to where you're going to start giving reasons for why you don't do what he called you to do. This is the, this is the dividing line. This is the one that I, I learned as a young Christian, and as I got into the ministry, I hit that 13th verse in studying one night, and I remember the place I was, I remember where I lived, out in the country, and I hit the 13th verse, and the Lord said, if you don't understand this parable, you'll not understand any of them. And I got to tell you, I poured my heart and soul into understanding this, this one. Now, this third group, and he says, the cares of this world. And I thought, well, you know what I ought to do? Here's a thought. Look it up and see what he really said. Look up the words that he used to his audience. And in the Aramaic, you know what he said? The distractions of this age are going to get you, people. It's the distractions of this age, the cares of this world. Now, don't you know Satan would love just to distract you if you got something going for the kingdom? They're going to be a soul saved by what you're going to do today, so we need to get you over here and distracted. And people think, oh, I'm, I'm not distracted. Think about that. I'm, I'm not getting on you. I'm telling you, I'm, I'm looking in the mirror of my life, and it's a hard examination. I get distracted. If I don't keep my mind on the Word of God and the person of Christ and His goodness to me, I can get distracted very easily. I'm telling you this because I care about you, and you're going to stand before Christ one day, and you're going to give an account for the way you spent your time on this planet. You think we're going to look at him face to face one day and go, oh, I just did way too much for this guy. You think we're going to stand before him one day in his presence and think, I should have done more for myself. I should have had bigger, better, newer, faster things and just neglected the ministry completely. I don't think so. I don't believe that for a second. The cares of this life, the distractions of the age, the Lord said, has made you so unfruitful. This third group. The deceitfulness of riches. <laughs> How much is it going to take to make you satisfied, content, happy? You have more now than you've ever had in your life, and you're not any happier about it. Because you want more than that. You get to a one level, and you want the next one. You can only eat so much, although I see you're trying to beat that line. You can only eat so much, and you only have so much, and you only use so much, and live in so much. You can only have so much. And the Lord said, by the way, you know why I give it to you? that you'll have it to give when someone that needs comes along. That's the reason he gives. He don't give it to us so our closet doors won't shut. He don't give it to us so our zippers won't work, buttons snap off of there and about kill three people. He doesn't do it so we can have more of us and more of it and more of them, more of that. He doesn't do it for that reason. He gives it to us so we can give when someone comes. And I'm going to tell you something about him. If you do what he says, he'll replace it in spades. He'll not just give it back and give you a broken, used, like it item. He'll give you something you didn't know was available. I believe that. I've witnessed it. I've lived that life. I had a day when I had something in my hands, and it meant very much to me, and a friend of mine wanted it. And I gave it to him. 
Oh, he enjoyed it. I didn't enjoy him enjoying it as much as I should have been as a Christian. He enjoyed having that. And I thought, well, I like that thing. I really, I really like that. He won. I'll give it to him. And I got to tell you, I didn't respond as I should have. I went home and told God, I think I heard Satan tonight instead of you. I gave him my best thing. Three days, counted out three days, and I got three times what I gave. Have there been times I gave and didn't get back? Yep. You know what I found out? Didn't need it. Does your house look like early garage sale? Do you have to walk gingerly through the room or tear the small toes off of your feet? You don't need that stuff. Now that's a, a no meddling. But I'm telling you, if you can't shut the drawer and can't close the door, there's too much in there, you don't need it all. But the Lord says, I'm going to give you this stuff that you may give when someone has need. The deceitfulness of riches. The deceitfulness of riches. You want to know most of the most of the divorce couples that we counsel, that I've counseled over the last years, got to the place they wanted to be and found out they weren't happy there either. Be careful what you ask for. The Lord might give it to you. Be careful what you ask for. Is it a, is it an amount? Is it an amount in the checking account, the savings? Is it an address? Is it a position in the world? Be careful what you ask for. Lord, give it to you. And then you'll find out very shortly, oh, I'm still not thrilled with life. This life is good, folks. The Lord has blessed us. You live a good life. If you have trouble, if you have trouble in America today, in our situation, being happy, your heart is sick. Your heart is cankered and it's worm infested. Your heart is sick. Your heart is very sick. If you're living in this world today and you're not happy, and I don't just mean uh, complacent, I mean this, thrilled with the God that you serve. Thankful to the God that you serve. From two generations ago, I live in a home with a thermostat, a flushing toilet, machines that do the laundry. When you say, I'm going to do, do the laundry, no, you're not. What, are you going to stand there and do that? You know what you're going to do? Say it, folks. I'm going to go push a button. Yeah. I'm going to go push a button and sit down and read for 45 minutes until I do more laundry, until I push the second button. And you want to know how lazy we've gotten with that? We don't even fold what comes out of the dryer. We, I, I go to people's houses and they got piles on the couch. Am I hitting you? Or else, stacks of clothes. Doing the laundry really means putting laundry away. Doesn't it? It means putting it where it goes when, the, when our automation does the work. I know it. I see your faces, but I don't care. You know what? Think about it. If you're not today in this church in the hearing of my voice on the radio, uh, I'm trying to get on television, they don't want me, If you, out under the trees, if you don't know the thrill of serving this Christ who is so giving and so loving, your heart is sick. Your heart is sick. There's not a lot of help for you unless you repent and turn to Christ and say, forgive my coldness, my hard-heartedness, my ungrateful attitude, Lord, thank you for giving so freely. This is where I lose friends. 
That's okay with me. I like being home alone. We, we enjoy just two of us. And we're getting a lot of time that way these days. Who are you? The cares of this life getting you, distracting you? There's a lot going on. The deceitfulness of riches? Or is it the third group and it's the lust of other things? Oh, if I just had more, I'd be happy. You are more. Some of you folks, more time I see you. You have more, we have more, we have more, and we want more, and there's no satisfaction. They asked John Rockefeller. Remember that? How much is enough? A little more. John Rockefeller died. One of the, if not the wealthiest man in America at the time, John Rockefeller died, and his testimony on his deathbed was, enough is just a little more. You know what he said and didn't know it? I know nothing of Christ. My heart is absolutely perverted to Christ. I'm ungrateful to the core. I want more. I want more. You know what? This morning, if you have Christ in your heart, you can't have more. There is no more in the world, in the universe, than Christ in your heart saying, You're my son, my daughter, I love you. Oh, I love you. I love you. And you see, he gave he gave discipleship. When he was here, he gave discipleship, and he gave it um, several ways. But we've been through it. I want to just boil it down to this verse. And if any man will come after me, let him deny himself. Well, there's the rub, actually. Denying myself. Denying myself. You're going to go home, and there's going to be a football game on, I guarantee you. And when you get to the commercial, you're going to see cold Coke and hot pizza. You're going to see enough cheese on there to stop your heart on one piece of pizza that strings out of the box, and it'll snap right back in there if you don't have both hands on it. You know why? Because they know America is not going to deny themselves. I know, I know hot pizza and cold pop is good. I know that's good. My doctor said it's not good for me. Changing doctors on Monday. I tell you what, uh, I want to go to someone that cares about me. There's such a thing as being bad for your body and good for your soul. Happiness counts for something, you know. Isn't that right? If you're going to follow me, deny yourself. We don't. We're not good at that. Someone asked me, "Are you a pastor?" And you pray. I do. Do you read the Word? I said, "I love it." Do you fast? And I said, yes, and I can do it faster than you can. I can fast between meals, and I get insights you wouldn't believe. And uh, people say now, fasting is for spiritual insights. I said, it sure is. I can get insights thinking about fasting. It makes me get serious quick. But denying yourself, and I'm just telling you that this way. The reason the Lord said that's what it takes is that's because it's not easy. So when someone says something you don't like, keep your tongue behind your teeth and your lips put closely together. That's hard to do, isn't it? <laughs> I guess so. I haven't tried. <laughs> but it's, it's supposed to be hard to do. They tell me it's hard to do. Someone does something you don't like. Do you have to tell them what you think of them every time? Do you? You don't. You don't. 
But the Lord says if you're going to be my disciple, you need to, well, number one, deny yourself. Number two, take up your cross. Now you're denying yourself. Just go ahead and die. Die to yourself and live to Christ. Die to yourself. My ambitions. It's a great, what I call the agenda exchange. I tell the Lord, I, I had a plan for my life. Did you? I had a plan. I knew what I wanted to do when I was younger. And if you thought it included ministry and preaching to people, you're wrong, completely wrong. This was not my plan as a 17-year-old boy. It was not. But you know what? In quiet time, in prayer time, I knew something was up. I hit my knees in a sobbing time in my life in my home alone one morning. And it was a Sunday morning at 11 o'clock. I was supposed to be in church, but I didn't want to go because the preacher was saying stuff I didn't want to hear. Any takers? And I didn't go. And the Lord said right then, I want you to preach the gospel. Not me, Lord. No, not me. I was pretty sure Satan was talking to me because I, I'm not a speaker. I couldn't read at the time, and I'm not a speaker. And the Lord said, that's good. I'm glad you know that. Lord, I said, I can't do it. He said, that's right, you can't. We're way ahead of the game when you realize, starting into the ministry, that you can't do it. The Lord said, but I can, and I need apparently a huge body to do it with. And I said, well, here am I, and it's been wonderful ever since. Hard? You don't know hard until the world comes against you for loving Christ. You don't know hard until family says, I'm done with you. You don't know hard until co-workers look in the eye and say, you're crazy. You don't know hard until a wife gives up one morning and says, I don't want to be the wife of a preacher. Will I do it again? In a New York second. What he gives far outweighs what the world has. When I do what I want to do and don't deny myself, don't take up my cross, when I do what I want to do, it not only hurts me spiritually, it usually hurts me physically and emotionally and hurts people around me. That's the way it works. But the Lord says, if you will not take up your cross and come after me, you cannot be my disciple. You cannot be my disciple. That's... This, that's the discipline of discipleship. And I'll read to you one more time before we close. I want to say a couple of things to you. I want you to get this before we go. This is where I get the distraction lesson from. It's taken from 1 Kings 20 and verse 40. One verse, just listen very carefully. 1 Kings 20 and 40, and a man was told there, I want you to keep hold of this prisoner. I want you to watch for this man. Take hold... You are in, to guard this man. We're in battle. It's your job right there. And you know what it's going to cost you? If you? It could cost you if you lose this man. It costs your life or a lot of money, one or the other. I'll come back and either going to kill you or take a lot of money. Watch this man. That's the, that's the setup for, for this verse. And they came back and the man was gone. They came back and the man was gone. And here's what he said. And as thy servant was busy here and there, He was gone. Where'd he go? How did you let this man go? And he says, as thy servant was busy, oh, here and there, uh, he was gone. And you go back to the book of Hebrews, and it, repeatedly it talks about Jesus Christ as this man. But this man. 
but this man. It names the trouble in the world and the problems that come in those troubles and the sin that happens. And it says, but this man. And it gives a whole different picture in Christ. But this man. You know, you know what many people are going to say when they stand before the Lord? Three out of four people, Christians, are going to stand before the Lord and say, well, I got busy here and there, and, and you just slipped away. Can you believe it? And can you believe we're so content with that? And then when we're confronted with that, can you believe that most Christians will give excuse and alibi and reason for the problem? I'm going to tell you what, if you have children and a spouse and a car, you've got plenty to do. And you can be distracted so easily. Are you? I really admire people who come to church and their spouses will come. I admire that. I admire that. I've seen a lot of people through the years. And it doesn't have to be a contentious thing. It's just you're doing it alone. It's something you have to do alone because you believe it with all your heart. And I'm going to go. I admire that. I've seen a lot of them through the years. And 19 out of 20 times when that's happened in my ministry, it's been the woman coming alone because their hearts are more tender. Here's what men believe. I don't need it. I don't need that. And you'll talk to them for 15 minutes, and they need it so bad you can't believe they can't see they need it. And they're not hateful. They just don't need it. There's something in a man, and God put it there, and that's that survival and that's that protection thing. And if you don't get that under the authority of God, it can really hurt you. It's called macho in America. It means stupid. Macho means stupid. I don't. I can't find that word in the dictionary, but I'm gonna put it in there because macho is stupid. There's not a woman on on the planet Earth that wants a macho man. They want a man. They want a kind-hearted man, a man that makes them laugh, a man they know in their heart, cares about them, love them deeply. That's what every woman wants. They don't want somebody with a big mustache and uh, walks like they got problems in their innards. They don't want that. They don't want somebody to walk like they don't feel good, like they need some fiber. They don't want that. They want a man who loves them and says this, I'm right here. What, what can I do to make you happy? What can I do today to make your day really good? What do you want? <laughs> kind of. Kind of <laughs> I never seen that look on your face before, but that's all right. Uh, now she knows I know, so we're cat's out of the bag. I want to close with this. If you'll turn to the 13th of Matthew. If you'll turn to the 13th of Matthew, I promise we're going to be over very quickly here. Matthew 13. This is the same parable given by Matthew with some interjection of the Holy Spirit. Look now in verse 11. We're just going to pick this up here. This is the explanation of the Lord. He says in verse 11, And he answered and said to them, Because it is given to you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but uh, to them it is not given. Now he says this, For whosoever hath. For whosoever hath. And people come to me. I have had this passage brought to me probably more, uh, two, a couple others, uh, Hebrews chapter 6, the falling away, not able to repent. This is one of the top three verses brought to me in my ministry years for explanation. And it's very clear when you read it and just look at the words. 
He says, For whosoever hath to him shall be given, and he shall have more abundance, but whosoever hath not, from him shall be taken away even that that he hath. And people say, ah, that's just mean. So the Lord's saying, if you have, I'm going to give you more. If you don't have, I'm taking that away from you. Is that what it says? That's what it says. Verse 13, therefore speak I to them in parables, because they